The Seggies. The Seggies. The Seggies. The Seggies. The Seggies. The Seggies. Sorry, that was safe. I see. We're done with that guy. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old pal, Spearsy. And Brad in L.A. And today we honor the final songs from 1989 that reached number two in the charts, but no further. It's our Close But No Cigar series swan song. The 80s are over? It's over. Go home. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by The 80s Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 <laughs> for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Box, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Animotion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. Hey, did you know we have a promo code? That's right, use the code STUCK, that's S-T-U-C-K, when booking to get $200 of cabin credit. You must be a first-time 80s cruiser to use the code, and you have to use that code when you book. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. But do it soon. The ship is already 97% sold out. Which is kind of about as much sold out as Steve and I are. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, hey, if it's a Close But No Cigar series, we must have Chuck Coverly here, right? Hey, guys. How you doing? (laughs) Oh, Chuck. Thank goodness you're here. This is your baby. It's so bittersweet. I'm so sad. Yeah. You know, I feel like I've, I know I birthed this thing uh, 15 years ago, right? Yeah. And no more so child support. We're probably right? coming to an end here. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, but, you know, all good things. Wow. Must. It's been fun. And we started at what, 1976, maybe? That's right. That's right. Oh, I thought you meant we started recording them. Yeah. We started with <laughs> 76 or 77. It was episode 508. 508. My God. On June 5th. 2019 not quite but almost it's it's within a few days of four years ago so was that 150 episodes ago 160 episodes ago one might say i I, I didn't do math right the geometric metaphors can derive a repeated vectoral sum this was your assignment and i would like to see the results. Well, for those uh, who haven't caught one of the previous episodes, tell people how you came up with it. I, we were going on a long trip to Savannah, Georgia. And back in the old days when you made CDs for long trips, uh, this was you know way before Spotify and the other streaming services. So I uh, made a bunch of CDs of number two hits just because the number ones had already been done so many times. And uh, I came across on the internet where you've, come across many many things uh every single uh billboard magazine from this early 60s i think is when i started 
uh, all the way up to the 2000s. And uh, I love the lists. Like, I'm a list guy. So went and pulled the lists out and made a spreadsheet that listed every single number two song from the early 60s up until at the time, like last week. So that's how the whole thing got started. And then I emailed Brad and said, hey, would does this interest you at all for anything for your podcast that you do? And I didn't hear back from Brad for months and kind of forgot about it. And then all of a sudden I get the email saying, oh my God, this is gold. Yeah, it takes me a while sometimes. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I still make playlists based on that list and, uh, you know, play seven every once in a while. I'm still going, man, I can't believe that wasn't a number one hit. It is kind of shocking. Today we have six songs and I think each one of them is going to feel like it was a chart topper. Yeah. So we're each going to rep two songs. We're going to tell you a little bit about that song, and we'll tell you a little bit about the song that kept it out of the top spot. We drew straws earlier, and uh, guess who gets to go first? Spearsy. I never talk about myself in the third person. You should try. It's fun. Brad <laughs> likes it. <laughs> <laughs> this first song is Heaven. Nope, not that heaven. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Nope, not that heaven. Heaven is in two miles away. Closer to it ever began. No matter what your friends might say. I feel bad. I shouldn't be making fun of Warrant. I actually like this song by Warrant. This is heaven. It's right there in the title. (laughs) Hey, this song was released in July 1989, hence that's why we're finally getting around to it now. Second single from their debut album, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich. (laughs) Chuck, did you own that one from the Columbia Record Club? That was one I never got. Never (laughs) had that one. (laughs) I was sitting here like an idiot five minutes ago saying... Is this Warrant's only hit? And then I thought, uh, Cherry Pie. Yeah. Hello. I think that's the one that I associate more with that band, that song. Right. Sure. If if you've given me like 20 guesses, I I know this song and I remember this song and it was in, it's in the musical uh, Rock of Ages, which we just saw on stage here in Orlando maybe a month or so ago. I can't remember what scene it's in, but. It's still their most successful hit. It's it's a bigger hit than Cherry Pie was. Also, Cherry Pie was 1990, for what it's worth. Their frontman, Janie Lane, also their primary songwriter, says, uh, <laughs> "I mean, this is this is your typical sappy ballad, that, you know, or power anthem, whatever you want to call it." The video is the same way. It's like the band is performing. Now we're going to cut to the band performing in black and white. Now we're going to cut to the lead singer. Dancing around with a girl. Now we're going to cut back to the color version of them performing. It's it's not exactly original, but there's still something about it. I, I kind of like this song, to be honest. I didn't know it was by Warrant. I feel like an idiot, but yeah. Cherry Pie is the one that, that I associate more with this band. Yeah. Than- Cherry, Cherry Pie is not, not very subtle. <laughs> no. no. And no I, and I worked, have you ever met somebody or worked with somebody who you're pretty sure was mental? I worked with this. Is that a trick question? The whole building of them. (laughs) I worked with somebody who swore she was in the video for Cherry Pie. She swore that she was one of the ones that was made up. Like, then they they have, like, it was a post apocalyptic world. 
Am I thinking of a different different song by them? It could be. It could be. I I, I don't I, know that I've ever seen the video for Cherry. I'm gonna have to. I'm yeah, you're to, not gonna trick me into getting that in my search. No, history. no, yeah. it's bad <laughs> enough. Isn't that the one thing that you guys always find out? Like after we record one of these shows, because we we go and we watch all the videos on YouTube, and we completely throw off our YouTube algorithm, and you start getting served up all these hair metal videos now because yeah. we had to go watch the warrant video. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good times. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it throws it all off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Heaven took the record company by surprise. Once they realized it was going to be a hit, the band was told, not not requested, told to re-record the track to give it a bigger radio sound. Huh. Apparently, they took a little guff, as I like to say, from other West Coast bands who thought that the song was a little too limp uh, hmm. for their image. Jenny Lane, in an interview, later explained, Quote, it sucks that I get labeled as a ballad writer, but I figure if I write good ballads, then screw it. I write good ballads. So there you go. See, I just assumed all those heavy metal hard rock bands always had that one super schmaltzy, real, you know, ballady type tune, and their diehard fans just, you know, ate it up. Like they just assumed that that was part of the gig, right? Yeah. I, it seemed like it was part of the, like, okay, we got the album. Here's the, you know, Here's the first single. Here's the second single. Here's the third single. That's a really droopy, gloopy ballad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Poison has every rose has its thorn. Motley Crue has Home Sweet Home. I'm trying to think, everyone's got one. Yeah, it's almost required, right? Yeah. So I don't. Why was anyone giving them crap? Hey, I, hey let me insecure. make two songs. Everyone can call me crap. I don't care. <laughs> okay, Steve. Kiss as Beth. <laughs> but, your crap. Hey, by the way, did you know we might actually be the longest running pop culture podcast out there? We're actually checking. Is that like ha- having the minor league record for home runs? Yes. We're the crash <laughs> Davis. I, hit my so I hung him up. <laughs> <laughs> like currently still running or just having. Well, I currently guess. I mean, you like, started in the beginning of the whole thing. Yeah. So. yeah. We're, we're about 99.9% sure we're the longest running 80s podcast. But we also might be no foul dude can touch us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's things like that that keep me awake at night. Well, that and the tremendous amount of caffeine it takes to to water down my whiskey. <laughs> anyway, at, at this point, you're probably wondering what kept. I'm very curious. This gem of a power anthem. What kept it out? It's this song. It's a tragedy for me to see the dream is over. God damn you, Millie Vanilli. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't say that. So catchy. You know, let's be honest here. I I looked it up. I mean, because I, you know, Millie Vanilli, everyone knows they're German and they're called a German dance pop group. Why do we call them a pop group? Why don't we just call them a dance group? Because that's really what they were. Well, somebody was doing the singing, right? Yeah, it just wasn't I mean, it, them. studio musicians. It wasn't Rob and Fab, but it they was did the dancing. Definitely somebody. So I'm one of those people that still loves Billy Vanilli. I mean, I don't, I don't like them because they were frauds, but I didn't like them before they were frauds either. But I mean, that's just like we've said, like 19, yeah. 1989, summer of '89. Brad and I would have been out in the big boy world, yeah, with yeah, our college first, degrees. Yeah, first couple months of, the, of having a real job. 
Do you think I was listening to Millie Vanilli? I was well, trying to be cool. Yeah. I mean, Millie Vanilli, we talked about this, I feel like, on one of the earlier Close But No Cigar show, shows. Like, these guys got hosed. So, <laughs> you know, I have nothing but, I, I, I have nothing but kind of sad feelings about them. And that's made me a little more open to their music. It's catchy, but, you know. I'm not saying you just need to listen to it or adore it, Steve, but. No, no, and, and I know, and I, there, I know we've got like twenty listeners out there who, every time we go negative, get real pissy and go write a review on Apple Podcasts. But I mean, that's okay. Uh, either that's we just relate, like your opinion, man. Which <laughs> just either you relate to it or, or it connects or it doesn't connect. And this never connected with me. Like I, when I hear Millie Vanilli now on Sirius XM, I turn it off. I t- it's a cautionary uh, tale. That's yeah. what I think. I'm like, this is this is like Exhibit A of music business, not music friends good point i liked it because at the time it was just good fun dance music upbeat you know this one was a little bit slower of course and uh blame it on the rain was a fun one too but the girl i'm gonna miss you was just it was it was a nice tune to have playing in the background when you were trying to you know get busy with your girl and so chuck are you saying that this is an example of what the guy was talking about in the movie that thing you do we came out here to dance and meet girls and we can't meet girls until we dance that's right Okay. Now I'm curious because because Chuck's implying that that he was dancing with women at this point in his life. I guarantee you, Brad and I were not. So so what what was what I was beg the, your what pardon? Chuck, <laughs> not a, no, no, we were busy working. I'm going into my senior year in college. Yeah. And uh, I had been dating the same girl since high school. Little did I know we only had about another two years to go, and that was it. Mm. Split ways. But at this point, yeah, no, I was you know four years into or three and a half years into a relationship, and so Millie Vanilli got played a lot on the Coverly Radio, wow, car and anywhere else. Yeah, one thing I want to say about this band, what amazes me is that nobody picked <laughs> up the subject the real fast. I am, I'm, I'm picking, <laughs> but, but staying with the Millie Vanilli theme, do you guys know about the band Boney M? No, sir. Have you heard of Boney M? No, sir. They Sounds are, familiar. They are basically Millie Vanilli. They were a band that was put together. None of them actually sang. They all performed like they were the singers, but they were, and it was the same manager, the same guy that put together Millie Vanilli, put together Boney M. And when you see Boney M performing in videos, it's not them. So where was, you know, all this backlash for Boney M? You know, if you look it up, you'll see, you know, do the research. I'll figure what the guy's name was, but he was, he was kind of known for doing that. Huh? Yeah. <sighs> Now I'm just thinking of Chuck saying, girl, I'm going to miss you to this girl from 1989. It's a tragedy. <laughs> we all have them. you got 18 years of stories of tragedies like that. So speaking of tragedy, it'll be a tragedy if you don't get on with this show. Chuck, you're up next. What do you got? Oh, that's right. I am. My first song we're going to talk about is this song by Madonna. that was Cherish and it was the uh, third single from Madonna's fourth studio album Like a Prayer built around the themes of love and relationships with Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet being one of the major inspirations and apparently she was reading a play 
Romeo and Juliet during downtime from rehearsals for the Broadway show Speed the Plow, in which she starred in 1988. And I have no recollection of that happening whatsoever. Oh, good for her. I don't remember the 88 thing. I remember, did they redo that play like 15 or 20 years ago? And that's the one where Jeremy Piven was in it. And then he had to drop out because he got food poisoning from eating too much tuna sushi. He had mercury poisoning. This is real? Yeah. Jeremy. Making, I, would, I would not make this much stuff up. <laughs> that's crazy hmm. random fact. Yeah. No, I, I, I have no idea about that. I mean, I knew that she was in Avita, right? But that was the movie, Avita. Yeah. Right. And that was something actually that was, you know, critically acclaimed. But the other stuff, yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, so this song, <laughs> as expected, was well received. And a stark contrast to some of the other songs that she did on Lake of Prayer, which uh, tackled topics like uh, religion, sexuality, and stuff like that. And it was her 16th straight single to reach the top five. So she Jeez. had a string of 16 songs 16? in a row. Damn. Yeah. I was surprised when I saw that said wow good for you madonna good for you right so the following single that came out after that (laughs) stopped that (laughs) because it was their 16th in a row and of course that was the last one to reach the top five in that Uh, string because the next one was kind of a downer you know it was about her relationship with her father after her mother died of breast cancer when she was only five oh man recollects now now i feel bad i know right sorry that it reached you know it wasn't it wasn't not a hit you know, it reached number 20 in the Billboard Hot 100. And, and um, you know, I listened to the song again. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, but it was not something that uh, was getting played, I think, a whole lot on the on the radio. And yeah, that was the one that broke the streak. The song even included a short line from the Association's 1966 song of the same name, you know, where they say, cherish is the word ba, you ba, to describe. Ba, ba, ba. Ba. <laughs> She says, cherish is the word I use to remind me of oh, love. Yeah, she wrote the song all by herself. Well, words by herself. Patrick Leonard helped with the music. So the music video uh, is black and white, but it's like a oh, cyan. Super classy. Automatically super yeah. classy. Directed by some guy who was a photographer, and she kind of conned him into doing it. And he's like, I don't want to do it. I'm a still photographer. I don't know anything about film. And she's like, oh, you can do it. So she convinced him to do it. He practiced with a super eight millimeter movie camera while working on a job in hawaii and figured eh, why not i can do it anyway so he directed and actually did all the camera work on the video and it was the one where it takes place on a beach and she's rolling around in the sand and then there's all these mermen that are mm. dancing in the water swimming around with their merman. tails sticking out the little merman the little merman and they were all except for one guy they were all water polo players from pepperdine university oh which is <laughs> close to the beach as yeah, it turns out. Yeah, it's right on. I think you see it when you're riding on um, the Pacific Coast Highway, right? You go right past Indeed. it. Indeed. Indeed yes. you do. I have done that. So the music prognosticators at the time were sure that Madonna was going to have another number one hit with this song as it made its pretty meteoric rise towards the top spot. But in only three weeks after the release, it was already in the top five. Dang. However, I know, right? It looked like it was going to be there. Number one with a bullet but ended up only being number two with a bullet. Uh, it wasn't meant to be number one as it ran up against a juggernaut that was Janet Jackson's Miss You Much. And of course, that song entered the Hot 100 at number 42, and then it was in the top 10 after three weeks in the charts. So it was right up against there with Madonna, but... Uh, 
this one just had. I think the music video for this one really sealed the deal. So it was the first song on the album to be released as a single. And it was also the first song in that Rhythm Nation long form music video. And if you remember, it was black and white, as all the best music videos are. My favorite part of that is when they're dancing and you know the end of the song goes, that's the end. And then they go, no. And then they do that chair dance afterwards. Uh. And I'm like, yeah. And whenever I hear the song and she says, <laughs> that's the end, I always say no. And sometimes it is. And I'm very disappointed because I want to <laughs> at least hear the chair dance, even if I can't see it. <laughs> Yeah. And this has been a, a brief glimpse into what makes Chuck tick. It's it's it, all about the music video. Certified Platinum, it became the number one radio airplay hit of 1989. And it was the second best-selling single of the year behind Phil Collins' Another Day in Paradise, which we'll be talking about later. According to Billboard magazine, it is Jackson's all-time biggest Hot 100 hit. It was huh. also the second number one hit of her career. Do you know the first? Uh, I believe we talked about this before because I think it played a spoiler. Rhythm Nation? Was it Rhythm Nation? Nope. It was on her control album. It was. Um, no, it's. Um, <gasps> oh, shoot. It's. <gasps> I can I, hear it. It's just like this great R&B jam. Let me get to the chorus. It's, it's when I think of you. Is that right? You go. It is when I think gonna of you. Hold you ding, in ding, my ding, life. Ding, ding, ding. Brad Williams, <laughs> you have won. Yay. What? You've won? I have no idea, but you've won. Okay, Brad. It's your turn. Okay. Here we go. We're changing the tempo a little bit. We're changing the vibe a little. I want you to I want you to get your get your black clothes on. Close the shades. Think about partying in graveyards. Here we go. I'm gonna give you Love Song by the Cure. For all that setup, really, that isn't too gothy. But there we are. <laughs> Love Song is the third single from The Cure's eighth studio album, the absolute triumph that is Disintegration. Spent 12 weeks in the top 40 and managed one shining week at number two in October of that year. The Cure's highest charting U.S. song by a long ways. The next really? one on the list. Yeah, and I was surprised by this too. The next one on the list is Friday I'm in Love, which made it to, any guesses? Five. 18. What? In 1992. Yeah, and you hear See, that song all the all time. All the time. All the time. I would think that that was more popular than Love Song. Mm -hmm. I would have too, but that might have just been the super cool radio stations that we all listen to because we are super <laughs> cool. That, I just... Uh. Yeah, I was shocked by that too. This album is, as I was kind of joking a, a, a bit ago, it's their triumphant return to their early 80s gloom vendor role. You know, and it just, it matched my mindset in 1989 because I'm like, oh, as Steve said, oh, great. I'm a grown up now. Uh, I have to work. Oh my gosh. I have to do this for 40 more years. This is awful. It's, it's, uh. it's not only that though. It's like the whole, I got to work. Can't go to work hungover tomorrow. I can't skip class. Nobody wants to date me because I'm the, I got no money because my first job, I think my first job paid me 17,000 a year. Well, I guess I can't complain because I was making a little more than that. 
Do you know what? I think I was making 21 on yeah. my first year out of college. That's pretty sad. Yeah. I, I, I remember I left that job for a job that was going to pay me, are you ready? $27,000. Ooh. <laughs> and I was, and man, I, that's I, a big I, jump. <laughs> I thought it was so much money. I was like, I can buy a boat. That's a that's a thirty percent raise <laughs> right there. What was I thinking? Yeah, that was the end of the thirty percent raises for me. But yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, don't, I didn't want this to become. You're joining in my gloom fest here. I love it. It's perfect. I do You're love it. The vibe. I'm sorry. You're I'm sorry. The vibe. Go ahead. So let's talk Continue. a little bit about the song. So this song was written by Robert Smith. Perhaps you've heard of him. It was a wedding present for his fiance, which is the sweetest thing I've ever heard about a Cure song. Shortly before they got married in 1988. They met in school when he was 14, and he credits her with saving his life. Not, maybe not like dragging him out of a river or out of the mouth of a lion or something, but just like pulling him out of his, his funk when he went through some self-destructive periods. The lyrics are inspired by the constant touring he was doing at the time. He wanted her to know that no matter how much he was on the road, he would always love her. Are they still together? Aww, they are still together. They're in the midst of this huge tour yeah. right now. And I'm hearing good things. Somebody posted a video on YouTube that was taken at the Hollywood Bowl in the front row. And the sound, it, it almost looks like a huh. professional video. And I'm thinking they're not going to let that stay up there very long because it's the entire concert. And the quality is like 4K. It's like beautifully filmed by somebody in the front row. And I'm thinking that's going to get so you ripped it off right away. I need to because I do want to save that because it's probably the best video that you're going to get of this tour. Yeah, I've got a little bit of buyer's remorse that I didn't get or non-buyer's remorse that I didn't try and get tickets to that show because one of my all-time favorite concerts was seeing them at the Hollywood Bowl in like 2017 with my son. I've talked about it on the show a million times. Just watch the video on a big screen. Yeah. Turn the sound way up. I'll do that. I'll do that and, you know, poke myself in the eye so I cry a little bit. (laughs) Uh, let's move back to the song. Fun fact about this album, Robert Smith refused to speak during the recording sessions for disintegration. Huh? What? He would not talk in the studio. He would not speak to his bandmates as an idea that he had to create a certain atmosphere, which he later blamed (laughs) on all the acid he was taking. (laughs) (laughs) He still communicated, but he would just like write a note and hand it to like, you suck. <laughs> Please tune your instrument. I thought it was more like he would Do you sing. want to go get lunch? <laughs> he would sing the things instead of talking them. That's uh, uh, pretty funny. I thought that was really interesting. It is. But you know what I really want to talk about, guys? Let's talk about the music video. This was directed by Tim Pope, and it features Robert Smith singing the tune in a cave. <laughs> I remember that. They had wanted to shoot the clip at the Cave of Souls in Somerset, but they forgot to get a license. They couldn't get permission in time. And so they had to settle for a soundstage with a bunch of, you know, weird crap in it. Pope said the cave is meant to be where the band ends up after getting devoured by the giant spider in the lullaby video, which oh, I love a good through line in album videos. That just makes me so happy. So it's almost like a concept video album. According yes, to Tim Pope. Exactly. Nice. According to Tim Pope, who, you know, it all happened in his mind, but he didn't speak to Robert Smith about it because <laughs> Robert Smith wouldn't answer his questions. <laughs> So you might be wondering what kept this dour-faced juggernaut of pale makeup and partying in graveyards out of the number one spot. I know. I do too. That's right. It's the same Miss Jackson we were just talking about. Uh, she was uh, she was top of the world. <laughs> it's not going to be the last time we talk about her either. 
Uh, she was just in Orlando, I think, on her latest tour. Oh, yeah? I heard she lip-synced very well. Oh, wow. Wow. Everyone said it. I mean, that's what she does now. So is everybody who's dancing the whole time doing that? Like, can we just assume that that's what they're doing? Yeah. I've talked to guys who have run live sound, and they basically say anytime someone switches to the headset mic, they're not singing. Ah. So they have a a live mic, though, so they can talk, right? They can kind of throw things in ad lib here and there. I'm okay with that, I think, as long as they're not lip syncing to the album version. Like, they've recorded it, and they're just going to, they're kind of lip syncing a little bit to that. I don't know. Don't you love it when you when you watch old videos of um, performances on TV and it's a song that doesn't end; it just kind of fades away, and, and the band kinda just like, kind of they just play it that way on the show, like "Okay, we're all getting softer now, and it's over." Or it's a single person on the stage, <laughs> yeah, American singing. Bandstand, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, solid gold, same thing. Yeah. That's you watch yeah, American yeah. Bandstand, and like at the time, I didn't think about the fact that they're lip syncing. Now you look back, and half the time the bands are like, "I am bored out of my mind. I can't believe yeah. I'm doing this for this stupid yeah. record label. Those bastards!" Drummer's not even really touching the drums. The whole nine yards. Well, anyway. Who was it? Rod Stewart famously just completely um, sabotaged his performance on top of the pops because he didn't want to do it. So it was just complete, utter ridiculousness. Wow, that sounds like yeah. him. I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> the best, most rock and roll way possible. I think yeah, Nirvana did it as well. Kurt Cobain went on there. That and surprises they me did not. A really bad version of um, oh, what song was it that they did? Um, I think it was the next song we're going to talk about, which they don't even perform. That's right. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, number four song on this week's list. Here we go. That's Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears. Off the album, The Seeds of Love. It's nice. Yeah. Am I the only one that thinks this is their big comeback? No, no. I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, they had their their, their big output there in the first half of the 80s, and then they kind of went silent, and then they came back with this. It was, it was huge. Yeah. And kind of unlooked for. Sowing the Seeds of Love incorporates a number of musical styles. If you listen to the song, it sounds like three songs pasted together. And I'm not the only one saying that. Critics said that too. But all throughout it, there's this sort of 1960s feel. It feels, I mean, there's even mm-hmm. a trumpet line that sounds like Penny Lane. It's very, yeah, very Beatles esque. It is a political song. This was recorded, I guess, right after Margaret Thatcher was elected the third time as the prime minister of the line. Politician granny with your high ideals. Have you no idea how the majority feels? Ooh. So, Shots fired. Yeah. The video won two awards at the MTV Music Video Awards. Uh, best breakthrough video, best special effects. It's it's a cool video. I would hesitate to describe it only because so much happens every other second that we could spend the rest of the show talking about what happens in this video. It's very Beatles-esque. It is very... Uh, high-minded for its time it's avant-garde I, I will say <laughs> that we spent a lot of time on these shows when we talk about specific songs kind of bagging on the music videos that were coming out at the time because 
like the the labels had kind of taken over and the you know creative control wasn't really with the band the way it used to be and this album or this video I should say this video stands out in contrast to that and that they did some pretty fun stuff yeah it's it's kind of like they saw peter gabriel's album and his videos and said hey you know we'll we'll give it a go yeah slice me up some of that chuckles (laughs) (laughs) as for what song kept it out you know which one it was janet jackson again with her lip-syncing version of miss you much chuck What's your second song? My second song is uh, this, and this is very schmaltzy. This is, I will admit, uh, it's this song by Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville. Look at this man, so blessed with inspiration. Look at this soul, still searching for salvation. I don't know much. I know I love you And that may be all I need to know And that's Don't Know Much. You guys remember this song? Oh, God, yes. I love this song. <laughs> Super schmaltz. If, if I could have afforded to go on a date, and if there was anybody who actually <laughs> wanted to go out with me, this would have been the perfect song for the evening, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is so. The song was written by Barry Mann and his wife Cynthia Weil and Tom Snow, the the third wheel in that group. Barry Mann himself was a top ten Billboard artist with uh, that song "Who Put the Bomb in the Bomb Shabam Shabam." If you remember that one, Uh, (laughs) so that that Barry Mann, I have the tattoo. Yeah, so he actually recorded the song right up there with Surfing Bird. Recorded first in 1980 by Barry Mann. I didn't realize that this song had been recorded so many times. Uh, Bill Medley did a version of it in the early 80s. Bette Midler covered it. And then finally, Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville. Uh, it was released on Ronstadt's album, Cry Like a Rainstorm, How Like the Wind. Mm, it's a good name. Yeah. And it was the last uh, song of hers to reach the top 10. And it was her 10th top 10 hit, sort of like all the U.S. It was also a number two Close But No Cigar song on the U.K. singles chart. Ooh, yeah. Love it. So it was produced by her longtime manager, Peter Asher, of Peter and Gordon fame. Um, and for those who don't know, Peter Asher, if you look at pictures of him from the 60s, he is I, – I, I wrote down that he was the inspiration for the look of Austin Powers. No, he he is Austin Powers. If you look at the pictures, you're thinking that <laughs> is Michael Myers as Okay, not gonna lie, I'm using the internet right now and holy crap yeah, he is. Yeah. What's his name again? Say it one Peter more time. I zoned out. Peter Asher. <laughs> Peter Asher. Of Peter and Gordon fame. Holy crap. You're not kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I met him. He's a really nice guy. Oh really? He went on the seventies cruise in twenty nineteen, right before the eighties cruise. He was one of the hosts, and he told the whole story about Linda Ronstadt and how he worked with her. He talks all about his days, you know, back in the day, and how he was dating Paul McCartney's sister. And Paul McCartney wrote the song um, "A World Without Love" and wanted to do the song and presented it to, to John Lennon. And Lennon said, "Nah, we don't want this. We're not going to do this song." So he just gave it to Peter Asher, and that's the big song that you know. Um, that Peter and Gordon are known for a world without love. That's funny. Which had, when he presented to him, had no bridge. 
So he's like, this is a great song, but it has no bridge. And Paul McCartney said, hold on a second. And took about five minutes. Give me, give, give me a minute. Yeah, just give me a minute. And came up with the bridge for that song, just like standing there, like, hold on. And then just wrote it down, said, this is how it goes. And, you know, that was it. Watch me for the changes and try to keep up. <laughs> That's it. So amazing. Um, the song won the 1990 Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Duo Group with Vocal and was nominated for a Song of the Year. Uh, the music video. So got to talk about the music video. It's not because of what's in the music video, but what came out of the music video. It portrays Linda and Aaron as a middle-aged couple slow dancing and singing this song to each other while video clips of them as a young couple dealing with life struggles through the good times, bad times are interspersed. Uh, but uh-huh. rumors abounded after that video that Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville were actually a couple in the late 80s and <gasps> 90s, even being dubbed by the media the first couple of pop music and that they ended their relationship oh. in 92. However, Neville told Mojo Magazine in the 2013 interview that uh, he and Rod were no more than friends. They just sold it very well in the music video, which wasn't hard to do. He said, because Linda's a pretty woman. He does agree though, that while watching the video, it does look kind of suspect. So Mm. other notable songs that were uh, nominated for that award love shack by the B 52s. Oh yeah. She drives me crazy with the fine young cannibals, the living years, by Mike and the Mechanics, and If You Don't Know Me By Now by Simply Red, which are four songs I've actually heard before. I seriously, until we started doing the show, I'm like, I've never heard this before in my life. What are you talking about? But when you listen to the songs, you, they come back, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this one, I'm like, nope, nothing. So this one, I actually used my to sing. My cold, dead soul wouldn't allow it in my ears. <laughs> I used to <laughs> sing this song at karaoke back in the day. Because I used to do that song from, uh, it was a Somewhere Out There, from the the, the Fievel Mouskowitz mm. thing. Yeah, yeah. Because there was this American girl that tale. came out to karaoke back in the day. And she did a lot of Linda Ronstadt. So she's like, would you sing this song with me? And I said, sure. So I did the, you know, Somewhere Out There, did that. And then she's like, I'm going to do this other one, too. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So I'd usually try to con her to wait till the end of the night when the bar was pretty much mostly empty. You know, just the bar flies are hanging there on there. Yeah. And or drunk. Yeah, yeah, usually drunk. And then I would sing it then. But uh, it, it, it's, it's, it holds a, a place in my heart for karaoke at the uh, Seafood Shanty back in the early... <laughs> You you paint a picture. The early the, the early nineties. I'm, I'm he's picturing not, like he's not the... Chuck right now. He's Captain Geach in the he's, Shrimp Shack Shooters. Yeah, exactly. God, you beat me to it. You. F-er. I know. Oh, uh, I'm just I'm picturing like the 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 hanging lights and the the dimly lit bar and the the old you know the peg leg guy and the eye patch <laughs> guy at the bar. That's what it looked like. It's amazing. Yeah, seafood shanty. So what kept it out of the top spot? It was kept out of the top spot by this song from Phil Collins. And of course, that's another day in paradise, which entered the top spot on December 23rd, 89. It actually kept another song out of the top spot during that time as well. Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation, uh, which was the first number two 
close but no cigar song of the 90s so she played the spoiler in this episode three times and then she got done by phil collins the album was but seriously uh, written by Collins, look, uh, took a look at the problem of homelessness and social injustices, very much like his song off of uh, No Jacket Required, that long, long way to go. But what was interesting is the music actually came first on that. He sat down at the piano, just started hammering things out, and he said that the line came out, she calls out to the man in the street, and it was only then that he decided that the song would be about homelessness. So, one Grammy for the record of the year. Also won the 1990 Brit Award for Best Single, and David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and maybe sometimes Young sang on that song as well. And he returned the favor by singing background on Crosby's 93 song, Hero. Love it. Yep. Love all that. Righteous. So the music video we're going to talk about real quick, black and white, sepia tone, features close-ups of Collins's face, uh, which is very much you know, like all of his album covers. So nothing much really to see there. <laughs> okay, Brad, bring us home. It pains me to do this, guys. It just pains me. It's like saying goodbye to an old friend here. Here we have the final close but no cigar of our beloved 80s. And I feel like we're leaving not with a bang but a whimper. Although, again, tastes are funny. I know there are many people out there that will appreciate this song. But I give you this track from New Kids on the Block. Yep, that's Cover Girl, and I know that because I went and listened to it after seeing it on my list of songs that I was assigned this week. That is the fifth and final single from the 1988 album Hangin' Tough, and this song spent 10 weeks in the top 40. Casey Kasem said this song title 10 times, one week at number two in November. Two songs on this album not called Cover Girl went to number one. Can you name them? I thank God that I cannot. Oh. Yes. What's the one with the with the crazy dance, or is that this one? Right stuff. Not, this one, the right, right stuff. stuff. Right? Is the right stuff. One of them. Uh, incorrect. Then no, I cannot. <laughs> Just tell us <laughs> the first one. I'll be loving you. Parentheses forever. Close parenthesis. And the title track. It's always the title track, guys. Hang on. Oh yeah. Hang in talk. Okay. I mean, look, I would have been impressed if Steve Spears could, if Spears could name two new kids on the block songs, period. We had Um, him on the show at one point. That was before I joined. Yeah, no, like in the early days. It's uh, amazing. I mean, look, it's eighties. I can't say it's not eighties. It's just like way, this is, this is ushering in the next genre, next generation (laughs) of music. And I wasn't there for it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like the eighties because it's not our eighties. It's, it's boy bands, boy bands and girl bands were the nineties and, and these That's guys not, were in early, you know, good yeah, for them. Yeah, they just got a head start. They got a head start. That's <laughs> why they make a song called that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's get, back, to, start. get, let's get back on track here, Kelly. <laughs> so this song and pretty much the whole album was written by Maurice Starr, a.k.a. Larry Curtis Johnson, who was a member of the Johnson Brothers, which I got excited about. But then I realized that's not the same band as the Brothers Johnson. That's one of my favorite songs, Star. I was thinking that's right? what, as soon as you said that. That's what oh. I thought. I know, me too. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that. Oh, never mind. Uh, Yeah, hard pass. Larry. I wonder why he changed his name. He's more than a little infamous for his treatment of New Edition, who he discovered on his variety show 
uh, signed them to a contract. And after their first big album and tour, each member was paid the handsome sum of. Anyone want to take a guess at this one? Uh, one million dollars. Two dollars a piece. Two dollars nice. each. So in 1983, they sued him for embezzlement, and they won. Yeah, yeah. I'd lawyer up too. I mean, I'm not a litigious person, but uh, you know, that's kind of silly. Well, this new edition thing isn't working out. I'll try it again. New Kids on the Block almost didn't get off the launch pad, if you can believe that, because their first album didn't do very well, and only his persuasive powers. Convince the label to let him record one more. Give us one more shot. Come on, just give me my shot. So they recorded it, released this album, and the rest is history. These guys are just a juggernaut through the early part of the 90s. But let's do something I like better than talking about New Kids on the Block. Let's talk about their video. Oh, wait, no, it's not very interesting. Straight up concert video. It it looks like it was shot on a soundstage, because I'm sure it was. There's a small stage and the boys are performing and there's maybe a couple hundred fans kind of crowding the small stage where they do their thing. Yawn. (laughs) It feels like our (laughs) trivia sessions. Oh, yeah. It's carefully photographed, so it looks like the room is full. Thank you, Chuck. There'll be a little something extra in your pan. You're very welcome. It's all about the angles. Uh, And I, I appreciate that and I appreciate you getting at least a couple of my okay angles. This amazing song, this amazing piece of craftsmanship was kept out of the top by another amazing piece of craftsmanship. Listen to your heart by Roxette. Listen to your heart. Who remembers this song? I'm, I'm on board with this. I do. Yeah. yeah. It was a one-week jaunt from this Swedish duo to the top of the charts, and that was enough to keep New Kids on the Block out. It's the second single from their 1988 album, Look Sharp. And don't forget the exclamation mark at the end. Look Sharp. The male half of the Swedish duo rock set, Per Gesell, maybe? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Let's just say the male half of the Swedish duo rock set said of this track, It's the big bad ballad. This is us trying to recreate that overblown American FM rock sound to the point where it almost becomes absurd. We really wanted to see how far we could take it. To the top of the chart. Job done, Roxette. Job done. <laughs> so it they, was then. They think that's American FM rock it's sound? not 70s rock sound. <laughs> you guys want to see how far we can take the podcast to now? The Seggies. Hey, it's time to play TV Party Tonight. We'll play a snippet of a TV theme song from the 80s, not the 70s, not the 90s. And if you get it right, enter it into the drawing for the postal-friendly bottle opener. Do we still have some? I know I always ask, but I always feel like one of these days I'm going to ask and you won't have them. There's a new batch. Different color? Same color? No, same color. Same, same, same. (laughs) They're metallic. They're metal. You open bottles with them. They're about the size of a credit card. They'll fit in your (laughs) wallet. Don't ask me why you'd want to carry one around with you, but you do you. Set off the uh, metal detector, but I guess you always take them out of your pocket for that. So I guess that wouldn't set it off. So I guess I'm just wasting time. Anyway, pay attention. This is the theme song from episode 664. Yep, that's Coach.
anybody here a fan of the show? Seen it, but it wasn't uh, on my regular viewing schedule. Again, it was just not the time for me to be watching a ton of television. Did this go into the 90s? Yeah, because it started very late in the 80s. So it barely, barely qualifies. Anyway, we had some winners. Winners, sometimes I say. Uh, but Brad, you want to read them off? Yes, I do. Right now. Here we go. It's going to happen real soon. Winners this week include Jeremy Who Shot J.R. Rodwan, Jeff Penney, Jan Stuck in Lawrence, Kansas, Dave Estel, Brian McGod, Tracy in Paradise, Totally Cool 80s Tam, Mandy Hanning, Brian from Redneck Rapids, North Carolina, David Larson, Carol Parrott, Mike Z in Pasadena, Maryland, Paul in South Dakota, Christine in Philly, and longtime listener Alejandro Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico. Some new names in there, I think. I know. It's nice. Keep them coming, nice. people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that are people just making stuff up, which... That works. <laughs> uh, Chuck, you want to spin the wheel about who wins the uh, bottle opener? Yeah, I sure do. One, two... Ah, well done. My shoulder's a little sore. A little body sore. Just got to stop drinking this redneck sangria, I'll tell you that. Looks like it's going to land on David Larson. You are this week's winner. So email us your postal address. We'll get something out to you soon. Soon. I don't know, Brad. You got a lot of travel coming up, don't you? Uh, Here and there. Okay. We'll, so we'll get it out know. to you. I'm going to Tampa this weekend to watch Duran Duran. So that'll be exciting. Nice. That's going to be great. Very cool. Yep. So Are they playing by themselves or they have an opener? They have... Nile Rogers and Sheik, and then somebody yeah. else. We saw them in Camden, New Jersey, right across the river from Philly. Um, and Sheik opened up, and after they were done, we were like, "Okay, we're good." Like, <laughs> like <laughs> that was great. Was on Let's such go. a great show. Yeah, I was like, "Man, that was great." It's like maybe they should be opening for uh, Duran Duran should be opening for them instead. But no, the Duran Duran does a great show. Yeah, I've only seen them once before. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, okay. So let's pay attention. Let's play him another uh, TV theme song, you think? Do it. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. Hey, hey, hairball. And tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Two pizzas with 10 toppings for $9.99? That's impossible. Anything's possible. I taught my dog to say I love you. Little Caesars does the impossible. Two pizzas, ten toppings, nine ninety-nine. Pizza, pizza. And we're back. We got a few minutes left of sobriety. Uh, I see this interesting note here. How many? I guess this is a PPTMN for for Chuck and me. How many shows in the Close but No Cigar series? Is that you asking, Brad? Yeah, I went back and counted them. I think we talked about it at the top of the show. It's been a while. But how many shows did it take us to go through? 14 years, 13 years. Interesting. Yeah, we started in 76, so it's 14 years. Well, so 13 years because we're not doing 1990. Okay. I, I, I'm going to guess if it was 13 years, I'm going to guess it was 17. You're close, but no cigar. Chuck, you want to guess? See, I'm thinking because you did one. I know that several of them you had to do more than one. I mean, this was a, a three-parter. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking it's like... 20 yeah. if it's 16 like maybe three or four of them had i'm afraid that three. by price is right rules uh, steve wins because you went yes. over chuck 
What is it? Uh, 19 shows, including this 19. one. 19. No, 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 19. No, 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 19. 19. 19. <laughs> the average age of the combat podcast in Vietnam was no, 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 19 episodes. <laughs> we had that as a trivia question this year uh, on the ship, and nobody got it. I was, I was kind of upset. People got it. I got it. People got it. I got it. it. <laughs> yeah, people got it. He got it. <laughs> Started in episode 508, and we wrapped up with this one, 668. Just a couple quick trivia questions. Who was the sponsor of episode 508? <laughs> it wasn't it it wasn't the eighties cruise? Nope. Uh oh, were we still part of the network at that mm-hmm. point? Yeah, we were. Was it um was it the Viagra? I'm happy to report it was not. It was uh, way <laughs> travel. It's a, a suitcase that I still use every business trip I take. Oh, okay. Wow. God, that was a that was a great sponsor. It was in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Wow, twenty nineteen. June twenty nineteen. I- I'm intrigued by all these things. I have one last question for you, just because I was pulling these together at the last second, or I would have had a few more. What was the first show we recorded with Patreon support of this series? Not a, not total. I, I'm not saying that I know exactly which show we started uh, with Patreon. 550. <sighs> Let me ask that question a different way. What year did we cover on the first show of this series that we were under the Patreon? Because trying to guess the number is kind of silly. Uh, I don't. Uh, what year? Uh, 1983. Bingo. Winner. I was going to guess 1980. Oh, my what? God. What? Wow. Show 568 was our first show with, that we recorded in this series with Patreon support. Wow. We have a Patreon uh, Zoom happy hour this Sunday. We've been giving them blog items like crazy lately. But, Chuck, honest to God, could not have done this show without you. And it has been amazing to have you on for for all of the episodes that you've been here before, I just I, we've got to find another series that uh, you can jump on board with, and and because it's just so much fun. I want to thank you guys too because it's you've been so welcoming. Um, you know, we met on the very first eighties cruise. I can't believe that's how many years ago now. We're going on our eighth one next seven, year. Seven, seven or eight. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, love doing the trivia on the on the cruise with you. And, joining you for these podcasts has just been a, a, a great fun so thank you so much from the from the bottom of my spleen really. <laughs> always good to have you you keep your spleen yeah <laughs> helps fight off infection that's right <laughs> in the meantime chuck's not going anywhere he'll be back and so will brad and i because we're all hopelessly stuck in the 80s stuck in the 80s is now on patreon if you'd like to support the show go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. It's